Hello, welcome to another edition of Crop Life Retail Week. I'm Eric Sulagoy, editor of Crop Life and Crop Life Iron Magazines, here with my good friend, Laura Sawinski, still in the broom closet, apparently. Laura, welcome to the program again. Thank you very much. I'm getting quite accustomed to this broom closet, so I thought I, it would be my regular gig, so. <laughs> well, and again, as you said, you're having, I mean, you moved not too long ago, and you're having a lot of work done in the house, so hammering pounding, tearing up tiles that, uh, I know that's not a, uh, that's a very noisy process. So I totally, myself it's... and the viewers appreciate your lack of uh, construction noises going on in the background. <laughs> on behalf of myself and everyone who watches, thank you. <laughs> By the you way, be before we dive in too deeply, I need to get a little shout out. Um, I don't know if you noticed, but I am wearing a short sleeve shirt today in Ohio in February. Because here in our area, it's supposed to be pushing 70 degrees today. So it's going to be gorgeous. Wow. But wow, I wow. have to have a, I have to give a little shout out because a couple of weeks ago, I was visiting with a bunch of egg retailers based in uh, northern Iowa and southern Minnesota. And I guess those folks, for, for those folks that I visited, I, I feel for you. I hear hearing a lot about blizzard warnings and uh, impassable roads and you know, if you can stay in, because it sounds like a great day to just catch up on your Netflix. Uh, it's not uh, not going to be a day to be out and about. Although in Minnesota, I'm sure they consider this a mild storm, but who knows? Uh, we'll see. But my my heart goes out to my friends there in Minnesota. Indeed, I think uh, didn't Huxitani fill? Uh, aren't we due for six weeks more of winter? Wasn't that the? Isn't that yeah. what he said? Yes, and I'm beginning to agree with Bill Murray in Groundhog Day where he said he used to pull the hog out and you used to eat it. So I'm thinking <laughs> Punxsutawney a la King might be a great menu item for those of us who are not enjoying the weather. Brother, all right. <laughs> Wrap your head around that. And don't, viewers, do not be asking me for a recipe for uh, Groundhog a la King. I don't have one, just... Replace chicken with groundhog and go with the rest of the recipe you find online and keep you fine. Anyhow, now that we've wasted all this time on nothing in particular, <laughs> let's report on some things going on in the marketplace. So as our viewers might remember, last week, of course, I gave a little report from the uh, annual National Farm Machinery Show. It was held down in Louisville. Uh, and, uh, of course, you know, last week I highlighted what was going on on the show floor. Lots of equipment, lots of big iron to be seen, tires to be kicked. Um, but there were actually a couple of educational seminars that went on. And one of them had to do with sprayers. So I did huh. report a couple of video clips from the speakers, two of the speakers at that event. And my first clip is from Jeremy Hughes from Horst. You may remember them as the company that uh, introduced a new sprayer to the marketplace last year at the Maggie Show and won the Showstopper Award. And here is Jeremy talking about, uh, he's talking about a couple of lessons the company has learned uh, in the sprayer market. He, he mentions three, three things, but in the video clip that I have here, he's talking mostly about droplet size and drift management. So here you go. I guess a few things that I wanted to discuss today during the uh... Uh, the conference here is, is a lot of the opportunities that we see out there today when it comes to spraying 
and overall spraying quality here in North America and taking a lot of lessons that we've learned from Europe and combining those with some of the challenges that we have here in North America, we really see that we're bringing some very unique technologies into the market and then the overall design parameters and the overall fall process that we have behind the sprayer uh, really get down to the bare bones agriculture opportunities that we have for improving spray quality. And today for the presentation, I want to go over these three main topics that we address with the new LEED VL sprayer. Uh, revolving around those opportunities out there that we have to improve our spraying quality and to do a better job out there in the crop bill for their applications. The first topic I want to discuss is droplet management. And then I want to get into safety and agility. And the last topic I want to discuss is timing. And when I talk about droplet management, one of the things that we really see today in a lot of works in the country, whether it's here in the U.S. or up in Canada, is what we call the status quo when it comes to blue light, blue light control. Today, when we take a look at a lot of the sprayers that we use in the marketplace, a lot of the operators that are in the field, the systems that are out there, we're running booms very, very high in the field because we're wanting to go faster, we're wanting to get, get our jobs done, but we're also sacrificing a lot of agronomic benefits that are there from having a good boom control system. So whereas you see here in the picture where we're getting a lot of drift and a lot of miss the target on the application that we're doing, that's what we're looking at addressing some of the technologies of Quinn introducing in the new LEED 6300 uh, VL sprayer. So today we're talking about drift and drift management. It's one of the biggest challenges that we have when it comes to applying genistries to the field, whether we're doing insecticides, uh, doing fungicides, or even herbicides. A lot of the times whenever we're running at these higher bloom heights, we're missing the target. Uh, we're, we're creating a very uh, unique loss of efficacy of the chemistry without being able to get it on target. And then also crop and property damage. I don't know how many times I've seen over the past few years, especially as our chemistries have been changing from glyphosate to other chemistries in the field for herbicides. The amount of on-farm damage and also neighbor damage that's happened just simply from drift. And over the years of working with sprayers over in Europe, what we've determined that to have the most effect is in managing drift and mitigating that drift and maximizing the coverage is a superior control of the bloom height. So as we look at today, as we're increasing the ground speeds of our sprayers, we're also increasing the dark distance from that nozzle to the actual application target. And that's creating a lot of problems for us out there at the field. So we look at the resistance issues we have today, we look at the added costs of additional applications that we need. All of these things revolve around keeping that nozzle close to target. And with the new Leap VL, there's one big main uh, focus that we have on this system, and this is a boot control system, like not other in the market. So when we take a look at sprayers today and spraying technique, we always want to use a one-to-one -one ratio. So if we're using a sprayer that's got a 20-inch nozzle spacing, we want to have that nozzle with 20 inches off target. And very seldomly we're able to do that because of some of the technologies that we have and also the driver expertise that's in the field running that sprayer. So with the new horse leaves of the auto boom control system that we use, we either operate this at 20 inches off the target or 10 inches off the target, whether we're going into canopy or whether we're doing pre-emerge applications in the field prior to planting. And along with having that boom control technology in there to keep that nozzle close to target to mitigate that drift and maximize the coverage, we're also going to be showing off what we call our boom control pro plus, where we'll be dividing up that boom into five different sections 
being able to have a curve compensation effect to it as we're going across the new terrain to keep that nozzle as close as possible and keep that boom as parallel as possible as we're going over on even ground in our fields. So that's what Jeremy from Horst had to say regarding, uh, you know, drift management and new spray technology. And of course, another speaker, Laura, was our friend Doug Applegate from Praxodyne. And Doug gave a nice talk looking at, um, he was looking at sprayer efficiency and productivity. And he was talking about all the factors that go into that in, the, in today's marketplace. Gave a few statistics on, you know, what uh, time is lost, percentage of time is lost when machines are idle. And uh, he actually had a couple, couple of recommendations talking about loading times and how important they are to sprayer efficiency. So here is Doug Applegate commenting on that. We build automated planning systems. So I want to talk today about sprayer efficiency and talk about productivity of these sprayers. So there is a difference between efficiency and productivity. Big sprayers go fast, they do a lot in an hour, but to keep them efficient, you gotta load them fast and to keep them moving. So ultimately, we don't wanna put engine hours on as idle time, we wanna put the engine hours on as spraying time. So how productive is the average sprayer? Uh, these numbers were shared with me originally from AGCO, which they aggregated this data uh, from their sprayers. And 26% uh, of the engine hours spent spraying and 28% spent idling. The balance was turning around and road time. But that seemed like a really, really poor number when I first heard that. And I was shocked at it, honestly. Uh, other numbers I hear is about a third, third idle, a third spraying, and a third transport. So all of those numbers on the average are not very good. So there are things we could do to improve that and uh, you know, keep the cost of your spraying operations down. So things that will affect productivity and efficiency are ground speed, pulsing nozzles, boom width, tank size, application rates and loading times. All of these things can contribute to that, but when we uh, take ground speed, for instance, when we drive faster, we make that sprayer more productive, but you see in the red line, uh, we actually spend, we spend uh, less time spraying. So the portion of time that you're actually doing the work you bought that machine goes down. And so, uh, we have to look at how do we keep that machine running. So let's go on to the next slide. What happens if we have a wider boom? It's kind of the same thing as driving faster. The portion of time that you use that machine for what you bought for goes down. So the way you do that, keep that machine running, uh, the biggest main factor is loaded quickly. So when I look at this chart, I've got some uh, different sizes of sprayers and I have different uh, loading times. So the red bar is a 20 minute loading time versus five minutes in the green bar. But if you look at the 1200 gallon sprayer and you look at the orange bar for instance, which is a 15 minute loading time versus an 800 gallon sprayer on the green bar, they both have the same productivity of about 100 acres per hour. The other thing is, so the guy with the 800 gallon sprayer probably spent $100,000 less for his sprayer. So 
Not that you necessarily need that smaller sprayer, but if you want that small lightweight sprayer, you can keep it productive. The other side of the coin is, let's make these big sprayers more productive to get the good out of them that you're looking Likewise, the cost of operating the sprayer is dramatically different. So we priced an assortment of sprayers, averaged this information out, and then looked at the cost per acre hour of productivity. Uh, I thought it was interesting that the 800, 1,000, and 1,200 gallon sprayers relative cost of operation is per acre hour productivity is about the same. Uh, the 600 gallon size sprayer is a little lower cost. So they put uh, maybe a plastic tank for some stainless, but I think the manufacturers just make that sprayer a little cheaper uh, for an entry level sprayer. So conclusions from the work that we've done on studying this is Slower loading times increase the cost per acre hour productivity dramatically. They increase cost ranges from 20 to 26 to 42 percent higher. So just getting those sprayers and keeping it running makes a dramatic difference in the cost of operation. So that's what Doug from Praxidine had to say regarding sprayer efficiency and productivity. So again, it was very nice, Laura, of course, when you're at an event like the National Farm Machinery Show, usually you just walking around, looking at machines, but uh, some educational material there was provided as well. So uh, thank the organizers for giving us the opportunity to record some good speakers while we were at the event. Great. Thanks for those clips. Yeah. So, hey, I guess I guess it's been a little remiss. I know a little couple of videos ago, I teased an announcement on the drones front, and I said what? I couldn't talk about it because it was an embargoed release. Um, and that, uh, that have some more news available after Valentine's Day. Well, here we are at the end of February and I hadn't gotten back to that item. Um, so I apologize to our viewers who've been waited with bated breath to find out what this drones technology announcement was going to be, but I'm happy to report that this comes from a company that is based in Israel. They're called Heaven Drones, H-E-V-E-N, no A, drones, one word. And they have announced what they're saying is the first hydrogen-powered drone for commercial use, and that's called the H2D55. So this uh, this uh, drone has five times the energy capacity of a traditional lithium battery-powered drone, and is capable of flying for 100 minutes with a payload capacity of seven kilograms. I apologize, I didn't convert what the seven kilograms is into uh, ounces, uh, but uh, I'm sure it's impressive. But anyhow, this is the first of three drones they're planning to introduce here in 2023, between now and the year. And again, um, according to the company, this you know these models will have a better payload capacity and be capable of flights. So. Again, this is a good development on the drones front because I know that a lot of uh, users of drones have mentioned the fact that the uh, you know the, the payload capacity coupled with power usage has been a bit of an issue. So hopefully this will be uh, this will be a, a, a solution possibly to that problem. Yeah, I think on the battery technology front, we're likely to see um, quite a few developments this year. Yeah. Um, at a pretty fast pace, so 
Cool. Yeah, well, Thank you for the that. other thing about hydrogen, of course, is they're saying this is the carbon neutral thing. So awesome. you know, yeah, hey, all good for the marketplace. So yes, if you're interested in that, check out Heaven Drones' website. Like I said, one word, no A in heaven, and uh, you can check out the information on this hydrogen-powered drone for yourself. Okay. All right. So you said you had a little news on the international front. I will throw the floor open to you to share that. Yeah, just a few little um, tidbits and updates. Um, we've talked previously about the West Coast longshoremen and uh, contract negotiations that started last May and kind of keeping an eye on them because certainly we don't want any uh, breakdown in that and then have uh, you know work slowdowns or strikes or anything. But because it's taken so long and uh, you know folks are still at the bargaining table, if you will, during that time, a lot of shippers um, have diverted cargo to the east and Gulf Coast when and where possible. And as you would imagine, um, making a significant shift in a supply chain strategy like that, uh, you know, it affects, you know, your rail and trucking and warehousing and so on and so forth. So um, the fact that we're seeing a lot of diversions now that um, in response to ongoing negotiations, there's um, pretty much, you know, the thinking is, hey, a lot of these uh, diversions will now become more per permanent. So we'll see um, more shifts in the supply chain. Um, certainly the ILA, uh, longshoremen um, on the eastern Gulf coasts, uh, their contract expires next year. They've already got gotten a jump on, on the talks. They... Um, they realize this is kind of an opportunity, if you will, to secure some of that freight, um, more permanent changes in the supply chain. So, um, you know, again, it's it's it, it affects everything. It affects the transit time, ultimately, you know, how and where you get your stuff, how long it takes. Um, so I'm certainly keeping an eye on that. The other thing, you know, kind of like good, good news, bad news, I know we've obviously seen <clears throat> rising interest rates, inflation, and so forth. But the ocean freight rates um, eastbound Asia to uh, U.S. have fallen so dramatically, so dramatically in recent months that, you know, the good news is that the landed cost for parts, raw materials, finished goods coming in, um, you know, that, that makes them a lot uh, less less pricey, if you will. You know, we certainly saw a lot of price hikes, not, not strictly be, because of the ocean freight rates, but certainly that was a big factor. So, um, so that's kind of the good news, a little bit of a, an offset to, um, rising fuel and, um, inflation, et cetera. So, yeah, uh, still, fact, I, I you know, had seen that before you move on, I had seen an item regarding the, uh, freight rates coming down. And I believe yeah. the phrase I saw in the article I was writing about reading said that they were at pre COVID levels so based on that yep. we're back to 2018-19 uh, rates which is like you say is a very good news for everyone considering how yep. much they went up and how quickly they went up so mm -hmm. yeah overall um you know wto un other global bodies have downwardly adjusted uh, adjusted um uh trade growth this year not surprisingly so you know, after all this this turmoil the last couple three years, um, again it's kind of that that whipsaw effect. It's it's now, you know, swung back 
sharply the other way, but at least it looks like it, it'll stabilize more this year. So anyway, quick update on that front for you. Interesting. Well, while we're talking international stuff, I did that uh, one other item to share with our folks. This might be a bit of a surprise because it was to me. Um, I, I ran across an item that was talking about uh, uh, corn exports around the globe. Now, of course, U.S. usually leads in that category, but according to the USDA Foreign Agricultural Services, uh, they're uh-huh. projecting that Brazil in 2022-2023 will actually equal the corn exports of the United States, about 50 mon- 51 million tons from both countries. And again, as they note, this is only the second time that that will have happened. Uh, the only other uh-huh. year we had Brazil outpace the U.S. in corn exports around the globe was back in 2012-13 when there was a pretty uh-huh. severe drought in the United States and the yields weren't quite as good as they normally are. So um, it's interesting. Uh, the article I ran across uh, basically said that because the Argentinian corn harvest was not as robust as they were uh, anticipating, uh, uh-huh. that, you know, Brazil's kind of trying to make up a little of a shortfall from them, but also mentioned that with the disruptions uh, from Ukraine because of uh-huh. the war and Ukrainian corn exports being off, that Brazil's making up some of the difference there. So, again, um, you know, if, if the numbers come to pass by the end of the year, Brazil and the U.S. will be dead even in terms of corn exports around the globe. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Um, any info on where those exports are going? I know China's a, a big buyer. Um, yeah, the, the article did mention that, you know, Asia, Africa, which I guess, you know, would imagine, you know, because I know the Ukrainian, based on everything I read about Ukraine in particular, I mean, the Middle East, Africa, that's their bigger market. So it sounds like Brazil's making up some of the shortfall there, which, you know, is good news, obviously, for the consumers in those markets. So. Right, right. Interesting, yeah. Okay. Well, at the risk of not trying to make this a 30-minute video, let's jump into your favorite segment, Fun with Numbers. Hey, it is my favorite. Okay. <laughs> now well, and, and again, a this, you know, you're, you're, you're so far, you're perfect for the year. So we'll have to see if, as we, if this being our last video here in the month of February, we'll have to see if you can maintain your perfect record. Pressure's on. <laughs> you know, I was going to choose like a lucky hat or something like that, but I <laughs> I don't want to jinx it. <laughs> Sorry, I'm you're still wearing your lucky earring, so you're you're cool yeah, there. Yeah, that exactly. Actually, that that works. All right. So I I'm ready. Okay. <laughs> what you got? So, fun with numbers. This week we got a nice dollar amount. So, it is 19.5 billion. Okay. All right. So, is 19.5 billion is that a the projected decrease in net farm income for 2023? Is it B, the increase in U.S. exports for 2022? Is it C, the projected value of the hydrogen market by 2025? Or is it D, the estimated cost of sending my son to six years of college in 2026 when he's ready to go? (laughs) Well, God if you're going to well, yeah. explore his, you know, want to take a pottery class and, you know, all that good stuff, which, you know, we should all do when we go to college. 
Um, yeah, that, I'll choose D. No. <laughs> uh, I'm going with A. Going with A. Well, okay, your perfect record has ended, my friend. I am so sorry. Oh, no, actually, there's there's a projected decrease from net karma income this year, but I don't believe it is quite that severe. No, this yeah, is correct. Yeah, the correct answer is B. Uh, $19.5 billion was the increase in U.S. exports for 2022. Um, really? Yeah, this item comes from the USDA, of course, and our friend Tom Vilsack, the Secretary of Agriculture. Uh, for 2022, international sales of U.S. farm and food products reached $196 billion. Absolutely. That was an 11% increase from 2021, which comes out to $19.5 billion. And, uh, of course, the biggest items for export from the U.S. were soybeans, corn, beef, dairy, cotton, and tree nuts. And those items comprised half of the total exports from the United States. And as I said, this uh, in 2022, that was a record number, record value for U.S. Uh, agricultural exports. And yep. uh, that surpassed the previous record, which was set in 2021. Oh, well, good. Uh, at least if I'm going to lose, it's, it's on a, a good news and a good good stat. So all good. Yep, yep. all good. So, all right, everyone. Well, thanks for joining us this week. On behalf of myself and Laura Sowinski, we hope you enjoyed the news. And look forward to seeing you again real soon. If you have questions or comments about today's episode of Retail Week, contact us by email or Twitter or type your message in the comment section below. Your feedback is important to us. We will try our best to address your thoughts in next week's episode and be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel.